Hello, everyone. Welcome to We Hate People, the podcast for people that enjoy randomly scheduled diatribes. This is episode 18, apparently, recorded Sunday, February the 12th, 2017. I am your host, Simon Potter, and with me is a man whom his family describe as a real asset during fire season as he's such a massive wet blanket. David Holloway, how are you, sir? <laughs> Good. I'm a bit bloody exhausted. I don't know about you with all this... Um summer weather combining all that summer weather with the huge output of we hate people episodes it's i'm just buggered i i know yeah just despite the i i think we made a mistake going into decimals so having 17.1.1.2 and so on uh, I, I think people are probably just going to assume that we weren't doing anything since september but of I course th- that's true well, yeah, if, it must only be new listeners because I'm hopeful all our you know huge cohort of regular listeners realise that we've started doing one-on-one podcasts. So we do a, a special podcast for each listener. So if you're not one of those, if you email us, we'll start that up for you as well. Totally disregard what that crazy man just said. God, can you imagine that? It would be satisfying in its own way if we didn't have lives, allegedly. Well, I don't have a life anyway, and I'm still not thrilled with the idea. <laughs> it is good to be back, though. And um, as Simon and I were just saying, we, we looked back and uh, it was 5th of September was the last published date for this podcast. So if you are listening, you're damn dedicated. Yes, or you just don't clean out your uh, your subscriptions very often. So on this episode, there's really only one topic, which is why do dirty, freedom-hating foreigners care so much about what another country's president does? Yes, we are talking about why Australians and other first world citizens can't shut up about Trump, or at least I think that's what we're talking about. It's certainly what I'm going to be talking about. David, what are you going to be talking about, assuming I give you a chance? I think in Duterte in, in the Philippines, he's even more stupid. Duterte Harry? (laughs) <laughs> is that one of his nicknames? That's one of the nicknames. Yeah, there you go. It's a bit of a forced pun, but eh. No, definitely Trump. I, I just can't see it, you know, as a partially politics-based podcast. Uh, since September last year, I can't think of a single political topic that would have dominated more than that. The, the Cheeto, as someone I know calls him. Hmm. He just leaves orange dust on your fingers does he i think that's pretty much what he does if that had been the case then all of those women that were coming forward before the election probably would have had a much easier job proving their cases (laughs) and of course we will be keeping it non-litigious throughout the podcast that goes without saying yes (laughs) i can't even spell litigious you can i can't oh i i could try but i'll probably get it wrong can't even pronounce it. So we have one <laughs> subscribers listening to us right now. At least that's the number I've decided is going to be true and correct. So how do you want to start this ball rolling? This oh. this orange orange dusty ball. I mean, usually what we do is we'd we'd attempt to appear intelligent and give an overall summary or context for the topic. But I can't for a minute believe there's anyone listening that is unaware that donald j trump which i didn't realize was john till today sadly i just knew it was j but saw that on something that's john 
Donald John Trump was elected back in, um, was November, wasn't it? I believe so. Um, he's now the President of the United States. He's been in the job three weeks and causing all sorts of interesting issues or, or challenges. Um, and I suppose I just was keen to, um, you know, get, get our perspective as two fine young gentlemen from Australia. Mm. Who weren't involved in the uh, electoral process at all, along with uh, a good number of Americans, let's, let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Um, yeah, I suppose. Well, that maybe we should start with the election. So, I mean, the, the election itself lead up, there was all the, the intervention, you'd argue, by the FBI director. Um, was it a week before? It was damn last minute anyway, saying that uh, they'd had more information come to light about Hillary Clinton's email servers. Um, that then cut to a week later. And um, I don't know about you, Simon, did you actually watch any of the election count come in? Uh, I followed it online using the the Guardian's fairly awesome election tracker. Uh, did that for Brexit. Did that for for uh, Trump's election as well. And uh, yeah, it was just fairly gobsmacked both times, quite frankly. Yeah, it was the same. Like I I, I assumed she was going to get in that it was uh, Hillary was going to get in that it wasn't going to be. Um, by a massive margin, but it still would be comfortable enough that there would be no surprises. And then you go, oh, I'm not seeing that sort of trend here. And then within a few hours, we realised that, well, it took nearly to the end of the night or the end of the, was it the end of the night our time, really, that we knew? I think it was. Well, they, the um, Clinton campaign obviously had some inkling of what was going on a day or so beforehand because they cancelled the big barge full of fireworks that was due to go off outside the um, her campaign uh, headquarters, the the, play, the big place, they'd, enormous glass-ceilinged place. I'm sure there was no irony in that choice of venue uh, that her campaign had chosen for the victory party. Mm. So they, they clearly knew that something was in the wind and they, they were not taking any chances. That's right. And, I mean, they were right. Once she lost, I thought her, um, it was the following day, I think her concession speech was relatively gracious given the situation. She must have been absolutely felt like she'd been smacked in the head with a cricket bat. Um, And, you know, he he was in and then there there was all the, uh, you know, shock from all different corners over the issue, um, particularly from the media who, as a general... Rule had failed to to predict there'd be that level of a, a turnaround in the vote, um, and then the transition fund began. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing the uh, elites in their own echo chambers didn't see it coming. Who who'd have thunk it? Yeah, particularly after Brexit, you would have thought, okay, there's something happening here, but nope. And I mean. I, d- I noticed even today, oh, I don't have the, I don't want to, I'll care for what I say, but there was even further um, concessions from the Democratic Party that the uh, fairness of the contest between um, Bernie Sanders and Clinton w- was in question as far as that it had been rigged, maybe, well, probably isn't too strong a word, that there had been a rigging of um the, the primaries for the Democratic candidate. 
yeah, that much was made pretty clear and pretty obvious. And there's there's probably still going to be ramifications for that, not in public, but certainly within the DNC itself. I don't see how how it could not be. The, the fact that they did it isn't a massive surprise. Um, the fact that it got out, yeah, that was a bit more a bit more shocking, but but quite gratifying. Uh, this sort of thing, the the way these kinds of things are curated and shaped, I would imagine the the pub Republicans would have would have liked to have been able to do that. But the funny thing is, their process is actually more open than uh, the Democrats, oddly enough, for yeah. all of the, the accusations the Rep- Republicans get of being um, fascist and authoritarian, not so much as the DNC, it turns out. So that was that was quite interesting. Uh, and uh, it was apparently the guy campaigning to become the next DNC chair. So uh, this was on the February of February 8th. He gave a campaign street speech to become the chair was um, Tom Perez, who was the former Secretary of Labor, I'm assuming under Obama, um, slipped up by making a much-needed admission. So, to quote, we heard loudly and clearly yesterday from Bernie supporters that the process was rigged, and it was. And you've got to be honest about it. That's why we need a chair who is transparent. Uh, And then he retracted that pretty quickly afterwards on Twitter, I believe. So, damn honesty... Well, there's very little place for honesty in politics, as I think has been proven time and time again. It's the the thing that I think I find most frustrating about the the situation that happened in the states isn't isn't really the fact that Trump won. It's the fact that the Democrats made it relatively easy in a lot of ways because a number of a good chunk of the people that voted for Trump were not as uh, some of the people who are protesting and making complete fools of themselves currently uh, would like to paint them as a bunch of small-minded bigots. Mm. A lot of them are actually Democrats, people who the Democratic Party took for granted for decades and finally saw it wasn't doing them any good, so they looked for someone else, anyone else, who could bring change. And um, just having hope and change as your slogans apparently isn't enough. They actually wanted someone who was going to shake things up, and they chose someone who would do exactly that. So, yeah, it's the, the Democrats' own phenomenal stupidity and the, the blinkered um, media that's centered only in large cities for the most part, the, you know, the, the, big, the, big, uh, the big broadcasters, the big uh, newspaper outlets are all centered in big cities. If Brexit told us anything at all, it's that people in the big cities tend to think very differently to the people in the, well, everyone else, basically, everyone else in the country whose vote also counts the same as you. Mm. If you're one of the uh, the uh, vinyl-loving, latte-swilling crew living living um, in their in their studio apartment. Yeah, someone who uh, who's lost their job and has seen their community slowly being eroded out from under them yeah, their vote counts as much as yours does, and they probably don't see the world in the same way you do. So I'm, I was actually, I've been quite happy in a lot of ways to see people actually getting a, a good look at what their country is, not what they wanted to paint it as or the way they wanted to shame and bully people 
into pretending it was. That's not the world that we live in. And now they realize it. And for the most part, a lot of people are still reeling and thinking, this isn't my country. This isn't my president. Well, yes, this is your country. And yes, this is very much your president. So deal with it. Yeah. And, and I mean, without getting too much into hypotheticals, you, you look back now and you go, Bernie Sanders was polling relatively well. He would have offered that level of change that a lot of Democrat voters that went to Trump would have wanted. And he, he wouldn't have totally turned off a lot of Republican voters either. It's hard to see how he wouldn't have won uh, the popular vote, although as Hillary Clinton did by three, nearly, well, it was three million votes, but also the Electoral College and as far as people slagging the Electoral College, I can see a proportional system works. What I don't understand is whether the way the proportions are allocated by state are still current or are so out of whack that that's what you're getting these massive disparities between um, popular vote and Electoral College. But if it is a true proportional system and it's accurately reflecting the populations, then, yeah, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, I think Electoral Review is is something that really needs to occur. And I don't just mean redrawing boundaries. Uh, I think there needs to be a far more serious, good, hard look at these setups, uh, especially if you look at the way that the American setup has changed since it was initiated by the founding fathers uh, as a true republic and what it's become now. Now, there's still a lot of the power is restricted or stays with the, uh, with local authorities and with the states. But the federal, yeah. there's no arguing with the fact that the federal government has grown and grown and grown. And uh, th this is one of the problems I have and why I, don't I tend to be a bit, a bit ambivalent towards both sides because uh, as far as I'm concerned, Hillary Clinton was um, – what's, what's a way of putting it? Tainted. Well, she, she was a, a – She's a political grotesque and Trump is a corporate grotesque. Mm. They both both bring their own brands of nepotism. Let's not forget that the Clintons are, are a bit of a dynasty, especially with that wretched foundation, which I – no, it's not the foundation. There was something else they did, the Clinton Worldwide Initiative or the Clinton Initiative. They're winding that up now basically because – and you don't have to look too hard to verify what I'm, this statement I'm about to make. They wound that up because they don't have any influence left to peddle. They're not, not, yeah. not in a position where they can, they can actually sell access. And if any, anyone's outraged by that statement, do some damn reading and stop yelling at, at your, uh, your MP3 player because that's not going to help. I can't hear you. Um, but I find it all very frustrating because I'm sort of socially progressive but Fiscally conservative, bit of a libertarian, I suppose, if we're going to. And I just find it frustrating because really no party speaks of to my values or to the, to my worldview. So I really, if I if I could just do away with the whole uh, the whole compulsory voting thing we here have here in Australia, I, I don't think. A particularly great idea either and I've mentioned that before so we won't go on about that um, you shouldn't be made to vote for someone who you don't want to give a vote to quite frankly oh, that's what donkey votes are for yeah well that's what I usually end up doing because hmm. um, it'd be fascinating in this context if it had been compulsory voting what the outcome would have been it's impossible to say what it would have been but I would have thought 
all those Democrats that stayed at home versus the the Republicans that didn't vote would have been great enough that Hillary might have won? Who it's, knows? It's, it's possible. It's possible. The trouble is she has – she brought – so much baggage with her and yeah. that was that was really the problem and to be perfectly honest, to be fair to her i don't know that bernie would have had a, a much better chance because um socialist policies are not going to go carry very far uh the reason why the socialist vote tended to draw a lot more younger people is because younger people have less to protect yeah they don't have – they haven't uh, acquired a house. They haven't acquired much of their possessions or investments. That's why people tend to get more conservatives as they get older because they've got more to look out for. Um, when basically you've got your your iPhone 7 and uh, your Starbucks um, frequent flyer card and you know not much else and you're just starting off in the world – uh, you know, capital gains tax is not really an issue. It's, uh, yeah, tax the rich, tax the rich. But again, a statement like tax the rich is is meaningless political blather because in any kind of political discourse, having a binary viewpoint is is moronic. Yeah. And then that people going that Trump's evil, Hillary's evil. No, you're an idiot if you said that. You said either of those things. They're not. They both have. They both see themselves as having the right recipe, the the right uh, the, the solutions for the country, and the fact that they both can see an angle. Both of them. Let's not make any mistake here. Both of them can definitely see an angle to where they can profit off it as well. Shock horror. People going into politics to make a little bit extra either through uh, who they know at the end of their term or uh, what sort of board position they can get at the end of the term <laughs> let's face it there's any politician apart from the most naive will go in with some kind of an end game they're not just going in it purely for the sake of their fellow human beings there might be a couple but they won't stay that way because the way the system is you have to compromise 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 to get to the point where you have any power or influence and by the time you've reached that point you're not the same person you were when you came in well that's so, why you didn't run for parliament wasn't it uh yes and i would have to relinquish my british citizenship as well oh you i wouldn't be giving that up and man my new zealand passport you can't have three passports and run for parliament you see Biker. Yeah, it's a sod. But you'll be a shoe in the new world government. Oh, yeah. You better believe it. Illuminati. I just wanted to throw that in there. Illuminati. It's a great name. I was one. Anyway, I was going to talk gaming. I won't. <laughs> Save it for next week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Save it for next week. Um, as much as um, you talk about most of it to make a buck, I think one thing even the most vehement Trump supporter would agree that the Trump administration for what it is after three weeks has taken that to a much newer level and even um, some Trump supporters are probably uncomfortable with it. So when you've got chief advisers, you know, pimping um, Ivanka Trump's line or Trump himself tweeting about slagging off Nordstrom for not running a line even though her sales, the facts are her sales had dropped, I think it was 35%. 
in the previous year. It's getting into a whole level of bizarre as far as being in it to make a profit, let alone thinking about every time he goes to Mar-a-Lago, his resort, it's Florida, isn't it? Um, he has to take, quite rightly, an enormous entourage and they all stay at the Trump resort. So there's a nice little moneymaker. Um, and apparently they're looking at hiring it's nearly a whole floor in Trump Tower, Department of whatever it is that looks after him, um, because um, his son and, and Melania Trump are staying in New York for, for a large amount of time and they're looking at the rents there. That's yeah. a lot of money. It is, but that's what governments in the business of doing is spending money anyway. Um, yeah, yes, there's there's obviously a certain amount of graft there, but I mean that money's going to get paid on rent to some point uh, to to someone. Yeah, that's right. To probably let's say seventy percent of it would have gone elsewhere anyway. Yes, that's right. I don't know what the upkeep of the West Wing of the White House is, but uh, I don't imagine that's terribly cheap either. No. My, but I don't imagine it comes anywhere close to competing with New York real estate prices because uh, I don't think Trump Tower is rent controlled somehow. No, I think you might be right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing is that there's part of me that thinks, yeah, there's, there's graft and there's corruption with the Trump government already. But then I go, well, maybe it's just the fact that they're just – doing it completely in the out in the open and they just don't give two shits but yeah. I'm, i guarantee you there's there's other white houses that have done some some double deals and we wouldn't know anything about them no that's definitely that's definitely true as well um i think i the sad thing is all right let's say he got elected everyone knows what he's like and he had put in some more serious um, principal advisors. So he had no one in his family advising. He bought some, you know, really shit-hot political operators. And I know he, he was purposely avoiding that. But, you know, no, not a guy from a right-wing news site, not his son-in-law. Um, and actually had people go, oh, okay, well, they, they seem decent. They might be a bit out there or whatever. It'd be interesting whether these first few weeks would have gone a hell of a lot better, and I would argue that they would have. Yeah, I think part of the problem is that he, the, just the just his modus operandi, really, because yeah. he's he's used to being a. It's let's talk about what's her name, Betsy DeVos. De, DeVos, yeah. The amount of fuss everyone's making about her not having a lot of education experience. Well, specifically, she's not had a lot of higher education experience. She has, she has been very active with uh, vouchers and a bunch of other stuff in education in her home state which i think i want to is it wisconsin minnesota some somewhere like that um so she's not completely ignorant although she, her the depth of her knowledge is woefully lacking by normal standards the question i would ask is considering that everyone's always complaining about the american education system and our own to be quite honest uh, and the fact that we seem to keep falling behind, falling behind, and uh, this isn't working, that's not working, and all of the crazy, completely cloud cuckoo programs that a lot of um, academics introduce into education in order to, you know, whatever the latest theory is, uh, seems to end up going into uh, into schools as test programs or just widespread introductions. The question I would ask is, 
experts don't seem to have done American education that much good up to this point. Perhaps someone who doesn't know quite so much going in with a fresh perspective, who doesn't know what questions not to ask, might actually help. At this point, I don't know if it can, is actually going to cause any more damage than having someone who knows the system backwards and forwards and has been, I don't know, a tenure professor at Harvard for the last 800 years. What have experts actually achieved up to this point? Granted, you could argue, yeah, it could have been an awful lot worse, but we'll never know that. It's like Y2K. We'll never know how bad Y2K would have been if everyone hadn't done all that work upgrading things. We won't know. But, I filled up my bath and I'm proud to say it. Yep. Well, I was, I was, uh, I had uh, a bottle and a half of champagne in me and I was sitting in a hot pool at the time. <laughs> uh, the, the millennium rolled over and I just thought, well, if, uh, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out with a little bit of style. No taste, but plenty of style. <laughs> so, but yeah, I don't know. Experts, uh, I'm, as, as my father always used to say, X is the unknown and a spurt is a drip under pressure. So, I don't know. Let's see. Let's see what happens. A fresh perspective, maybe. Yeah. God, but, you're a real glass half full guy, aren't you, tonight? Well, I, look, at this point, I don't think there's any point getting too upset about it. The number of people are making, getting all upset because some of the, um, including one of my relatives, has made, granted she had a bottle and a half of wine in her at the time, but she was making the, the usual sorts of, and you probably heard people talking like this, oh, I wonder if someone will assassinate Trump. It would, wouldn't mm. be a if someone has to, and I just really, I'd like to just get up and slap them across the face for saying things like that. Anyone who advocates uh, killing someone because they don't like the way they're doing things, especially if they're democratically elected, yeah. you you can go screw yourselves because you are a shitty human being. Um, there, I mean, there were people saying the same thing about Obama, and I didn't agree with that either. So. I think people just need to start pulling their heads in. There are worse people in positions of power out there who have been doing bad things for an awful lot longer than saying mean things about um, minorities. And yes, he's been accused of, of uh, inappropriate uh, touching and taking advantage of women. Um, Bill Clinton was accused of very similar things. Bobby Kennedy, my God. Some of the things that have come out, not Bobby Kennedy, sorry, Jack. Jack Kennedy. Mm. Bobby was a good boy, as far as we know. Uh, but, yeah, it's, look, it's, it doesn't make it right, not by a long shot. But power, as they say, is an aphrodisiac. And some, some men, some people will take advantage of that. And that goes for both genders. So let's, let's move on from that. It's, we're only five. <laughs> let's, let's, see where we, let's see where it goes. I think you're right. Let's get it. If he hadn't had such a – well, some people argue what hasn't been disastrous, but he hadn't had such an up-and-down three weeks and the executive order, it appears, was ill-thought-out, didn't consult the departments that you normally would, um, left a whole bunch of people in the the lurch. Yeah, that and, was badly done. Yeah, it was badly done. Um, that's what's got things off to a bad start. 
I tend to struggle with a lot of the Nazi comparisons you hear people make. So you did the whole assassinated thing, I agree. I've always said, I think I said it on one of these episodes, or maybe not, I've just said it personally, I don't think he'll last a term. And I think it'll either be because he resigns because he just doesn't like doing it anymore, or he dies not from assassination but from um, either killing over of you know some sort of physical uh, issue um, or, I don't know, falls in a hole. But I, I just thought he might cark it for, for physical reasons. I, I think either of those things are entirely likely. Um, yeah. He may just get sick of it. Um, but I think he... Believe it or not, I, I honestly believe that when he's promised people that he was going to get their jobs back, I, I actually think he really meant that. I think he means to do that. Um, that's why I think he will resign because he'll realise he can't like well a lot of CEOs don't work this way anyway but like allegedly like a CEO can demand they employ more people that he can't do that and they'll get the shits walked say the whole process is rigged cause riots in the streets and go back to Trump Tower well yeah and that's one of the things as president you can't do an awful lot yes there's the executive orders and that's something that Barack Obama started to do a bit more uh, towards the end of his tenure but as George W. Bush pointed out to him, you can't do as much in this job as you think you can going into it. And Obama found that out. There was an awful lot of things that he wanted to do, and he just – he couldn't. He simply couldn't. And that was nothing to do with the, the Congress. That is just simply because they're – like Betsy DeVos, DeVos, is that her name? Yeah, yeah. She's got 4,000 people working for her in the uh, Department of Education. And they're not just going to do everything that she wants. She's, she can't just make an on high decree. In fact, the amount of influence the federal government has got on individual schools and individual school districts is actually uh, a lot lower. That's one of the things the Tea Party have done quite successfully because everything is local is they've got on, they got onto local school boards and that's mm. how they're making a difference. You don't do it by putting someone in as the Secretary of Education. You do it by getting people into local school boards in the US. So, again, the, the flat that's being made about her, I think, is, is poorly thought out and ill-researched. There's just a lot of people having some knee-jerk reactions because they find the, the politics and the ethics, probably more the politics, who knows, um, of, of these people objectionable. So pretty much anything they do is immediately going to red flag in their brains. But did you watch any of her confirmation hearing? That Her issue too is that she does come across as dumb as dog shit. No, no, I didn't. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if she, if she did come across dumb as dog shit. And she, maybe she is. She may be pretty thick and just um, been able to throw a lot of money at the campaign. That may be true. It may also be true that some people just don't do well under interrogation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I don't know. I don't know the woman, and no one listening to this, I suspect, knows her either. So, Oh, God, if you do, let us know, because that would yeah, be cool. It would be fascinating. <laughs> um, but really, we've only – all we have to go on is um, the curated portrait from the whatever news source we've been watching. And if you think any news source out there is objective – Wow, I'm, I'm I'm so sorry. It's you. You live in a very odd world, very a very strange sheltered world, and you must get surprised by an awful lot of things. Oh, I mean, I'd argue. Look, yeah, I agree with you broadly, but there are 
obviously better and worse news sources. And I'd argue that there are a handful of ones in the US that uh, may have a slight bias one way or the other, but as a general rule, are, are picking the balance pretty well. Um, and I would argue, I mean, it's pure subjective view, but I mean, from the I started subscribing to the the New York Times, and if we've got Trump supporters or others out there, I'm, I might, you may already be laughing. But I'll I just sorry, <laughs> I, I, I subscribe to them on on the viewpoint that during the campaign they ran a story. Trump's lawyers contacted the New York Times and said, um, "This is bullshit. We don't, you know, we we deny that this is the case." And the New York Times published that story, including their letter of response to Trump's lawyer, where they basically raised the middle finger and went, we totally stand by the veracity of the story. We totally stand by our journalists. Shove it up your ass." And that was what made me... I actually thought, well, okay. And I I believe, and and you can Google it somewhere, their subscription base has grown something like tenfold in the last three months. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, have they got opinion editors that are, are very biased anti-Trump? Absolutely, they do. So, but what I like about the New York Times is they divide the opinion pretty damn clearly from the news articles. And I, I look for the news articles to see outright bias and have difficulty. Yeah, the, the opinion columns, they've got... Um, oh, I'm forgetting their names. There's a Charles Blow that just hates um, Trump with a passion. Um, there's a former Clinton guy whose name escapes me that I absolutely should remember his name. So there's absolute bias in the opinion columns, but they do a great job of splitting that out. Mm. Uh, Washington Post, I think, does all right. I mean, the way, I'd argue that any, and I, I'd use Australian policy system, any publications that um, an incumbent person in power absolutely despises tends to have some kudos. Now, there are absolutely exceptions to that, and the classic one is the News Limited Media when Julie Gillard was in power. Uh, that wasn't based on objectivity that she was not liking them. No. So I think there are... Uh, you're, right, you're absolutely right. No one is... It's impossible to be 100% objective, but if you've got a good publication that absolutely believes in the fundamental components of journalism, trying to get a balanced story, that that's probably the best you'll get. Um, well, as long as that is one of many sources that you're oh, reading yeah. i would i would agree with that i've no i've no problem with any publication or any news agency i mean have a look at fox news have a look at breitbart have a look at the socialist workers weekly have a look at what everybody's saying because no single one of them has the truth you there's a difference between data and reporting you can have it really because you can have objective facts but then what you do with those is a subject is interpretation Hmm. and interpretation can there's very little in the way of objective interpretation most of it is whether we do it consciously or not we are doing with a certain worldview already in mind we were all we perceive everything through filters our own internal filters based on our experience our upbringing so yeah that's really why you have to look at as many sources as you can in order to get some idea of the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Multiple sources are critical. You're absolutely right. 
Otherwise, you don't. Things are going to con- contradict each other, and you know, uh, still you've got no way of knowing which which is correct. So, it's it's a lot of work. Freedom is a lot of work. Democracy is a lot of work, and most of us aren't willing to put that work in because no. we've got lives to live. We've got kids to raise, mortgages to pay, deadlines at work, football practice, whatever. You know. Living life is is a is a, is a, is a full time job, and that's why we defer protecting our society to the police, putting out fires to the firemen, um, doing appendectomies to doctors because you don't want your your drunk uncle to do it, and running the place to politicians. And unfortunately, it's we can try and set up all of these automated um, systems. Um, boards of review and and this and that and inquiries blah 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 um, to to try and automate the process and have everything self regulate and tick over without the rest of us having to get involved. But that when the rest of us aren't getting involved and making having an informed involvement, being educated rather than just running around on a, you know having a, a a million person march and holding up signs with vaguely offensive statements on them regardless of who those statements are for or against that's it's not useful it's a great photo op but it's not really useful you, all you're doing is preaching to the the, the already converted yeah you're having a, a a great old time agreeing with each other and yeah we all think this way why why is he here who, who are these weirdos who think differently yeah this, this is part of the problem the fact you're hanging out with like minds is why all of this crap is happening and everyone's so damn the other half of the country basically is pissed off and you're too blinkered to realize it. So yeah, being, being energized, being involved, being educated. This is, it's a lot of work and most people aren't willing to put that work in. There's something else going on. And even I struggle with the people that allegedly do put in the work, and I, I would absolutely sit in the camp that I think this guy is potentially dangerous. Um, I, I think he's probably less likely to get us into a war in some respects than Hillary Clinton, you could argue, but I overall think he's dangerous. would like to see the back of him. think Mike Pence, though, would actually be worse, uh, and I'm hopeful the Republicans put up someone a bit more moderate next time and even better that the Democrats get someone up decent. All right? Could I? Um, could I? Yeah, but- but bear in mind the other the other guy, the one that Trump pushed out, was Ted Cruz, who would have been worse again. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So, so I tend to be very much on the the camp of would definitely like to see the back of him. But I get annoyed at the the people that are oh, we're, we're actively you know going to work against this president. Fair enough, that's your right democratically. But constantly posting stuff on social media from the Daily Cos uh, and OccupyDemocrats.com, which are no more legitimate outlets than um, Breitbart or, um, you know, some of the worst opinion columns on Fox News. Yeah. So that's where I get, I get pissed off with that, and that's why I do try, try, try and find that middle ground. Uh, I would argue New York Times is one of those middle grounds, but you're right, you need a lot more than that um, for sure. You can't be just basing it on one thing. Yeah, I've, it'd be great if there was an easy answer. And I suppose if uh, any of our American listeners, if you're wondering why are we so interested, well, okay, uh, the States is still the uh, 
by most metrics, the uh, the richest and most successful country in world history. So there's that. The fact is, uh, you still the U.S. is still basically the uh, well, flag carrier, or the the president of the U.S. is still basically yeah. the lead free world for for the most part. So, yeah, um, this is this is why we're interested in why we're involved. Uh, granted, our opinions. <laughs> um, electorally speaking, don't matter a damn. But uh, obviously, we're interested. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's, it's hard not to be. Um, it certainly beats the Australian political news. Um, oh, good Lord. It's like two two snotty private school boys arguing in the schoolyard. Talk, about, it, talk about a privileged, entitled elite. Well, exactly. And I mean, the, the energy debate, we won't get into that now, but the, the whole energy grid debate shows that just how lacking our leaders are in, in leading a policy debate. But I, I was just going to say one last thing too is that you, you're right that there are a lot of people that aren't the stereotype of, I don't know, the redneck ignorant person, but there are some dumb people out there. I'm not saying whether they're redneck or otherwise or, or whatever on both sides, but particularly on the, the Trump side. And I want to use Bruce Springsteen as the contrast. So again, Bruce Springsteen is unashamedly pro-America, but you know, looking out for the little guy, um, and, and you know, has been a Democrat, Democratic supporter, I assume, for most of his life, and he definitely has been the last twenty years. You know, got the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Obama before Christmas, and so on. Um, the amount of dumb shit stuff I've seen on social media for, from people in both Australia and America slagging Springsteen for making what you could argue are fairly reasonable comments, albeit biased comments. So he turned up for an Australian tour, for those unaware, overseas, um, about two weeks ago. Turned up in Perth in Western Australia and did a, a small press conference and as a bit of a toss-away line, although he would have thought about it, said that, you know, we're part of the American resistance. We, we, we don't think, you know, Trump's the way to go. We don't think he's the way to go, but, you know, we're going to take the fight to him over the next four years. Fair enough. A lot of flacky cop for that, but the, the biggest one was he got up, I think it was in Adelaide, um, the, the next stop of the tour, and, and basically said, we stand before you as embarrassed Americans. And the amount of furor from one section of the population over that was just gobsmacking to see. So I'm obviously a Springsteen fan, went and saw his two shows in Sydney last week. But So I've been watching him on social media and the amount of people that said pretty much the variance on the just shut up and play music, don't get into politics, including mm. a whole bunch of people who said, I've been a fan of yours for 30 or 40 years, I don't expect you to get into politics. And you'd go, what the fuck have they been listening to with him the last 40 years? Obviously weren't listening to the lyrics. Because <laughs> he's always been unabashed. Well, not always. You could argue his first couple of hours more about life and love and, and all that stuff. But from definitely from born in the USA, and I'd argue well before that, actually definitely well before that with um, uh, the River album and um, all that sort of stuff, there's shitloads of politics in it. And born in the USA was renowned as, was it Reagan that used that song and caused a huge uproar because... He was using it as a patriotic song, whereas it was anything but. Mm. Um, and it's just the, the, the stupidity, and I know it applies to a whole lot of uh, um, issues, not just politics, but from people going, just shut up and play. Well, no, he has as much right to have an opinion as anyone else, and given his whole career's been built on 
you know, whether you believe it or not, standing up for the, the poorer man, why the hell wouldn't he say something? Um, I, yeah, but this, this is one of the part of the problem, you see, because this is one of the things that people have been reacting oh, against. absolutely. With both Brexit and and the whole Trump thing. It's by the what's considered to be the, the left-wing elites. Yeah, elites, where, yeah. Whether it's people in entertainment or Beltway insiders, it's it's just these. I mean, you could you could argue that Bruce Springsteen hasn't had real contact with the America that he spent so long singing about for quite a long time, just out of necessity. Yeah. But the other thing is, people bought tickets to hear him play his music and not to uh, not to apologise for his president or. Uh, or, or applaud his president, whatever, whatever the case was. That's using the stage as a as a pulpit for religion or for uh, politics is, I consider inappropriate. Do it through your music because that's what people are going to listen to. Don't do it on stage. Just shut up and get your guitar out. And the, th- the thing is, though, even though I disagree with you, um, it's. He made the comment at a press conference in Perth and the one about we stand before his embarrassed Americans, as far as I'm aware, was the only comment made in Adelaide and there hasn't been a comment since. Now, you could argue that's because of the uproar. I doubt it. But in Sydney this past week, I watched him play for six hours, so two three-hour shows, mm-hmm. which on its own, again, I can't emphasise enough, even if you don't like the guy or you think he's only hits in the last 40 years were born in the USA and born to run, which is just so incorrect, it's not funny. Um, you, If you enjoy music and you enjoy watching someone actually love what they do and put in at age 67 a three-hour non-stop show where he's drenched in sweat after five or six songs and just gives it his everything till the end, I can't recommend highly enough going to see him, although the tickets aren't cheap. And I've totally forgotten the point I was leading to then because I started <laughs> to get on a Springsteen rant. Um, yeah, he didn't... He, didn't preach in those six hours once. In fact, those three hours and what I was so impressed about, there was essentially no talk between songs. He did a couple of Hello Sydney's. He did a. Uh, he introduced the band. That was it. It was three hours of finish one song. Max on the drums is you know hitting the cymbals to keep the 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 atmosphere going. He's swapping guitars. One, two, three, four. Next song for three hours because that's, he does, that's he, amazing. I mean, you wouldn't get that out of Madonna. No, and this is the thing. The pure length of the shows alone are gobsmacking. So there are some bands that might play that long, but it's rare. I've been to probably like you. I've been to probably well over 100, 150 shows of a a lot of bands. An hour and a half is considered the minimum, and you usually will get two hours out of a major act. To go for three hours, and for Bruce, and this is the bizarre thing, that's short for him. So in the European league, he broke his all-time record four hours, 14 minutes without a break. How the hell do you do that? How can you sustain that? Well, uh, he, he loves what he does, and he's, he's, not a, he's never been a drug user, and at his age, it would knock him off anyway. He's 67. I imagine he, he does a shitload of gym work because he looks fit as all hell for his age, uh, and he drinks lots of isotonic drinks, <laughs> from what I can see. But he... Um, I, it's absolutely unbelievable. I've never seen another artist. Like, if you got Mick Jagger up and said, we need you to play for three hours, I don't think he'd get up on stage to start. 
I don't know if he can stand that long. No, that's, that's what... I mean, to be fair, Mick's... Sli- he's only slightly older than Bruce Springsteen. So I can't see Bruce doing that in five years, but I, I really can't emphasise enough, particularly if you're listening in Australia, there are a couple of shows left in Brisbane. If you've got the opportunity, you're arming and ahhing about it, I can't emphasise enough how much worth it is. And it's not... There's no gimmicks. There's no fireworks. There's two, a couple of large video screens for the audience up the back. It's him and the E Street Band going for it for three hours and doing it with extreme high quality. Anyway, it was more about that he wasn't preaching verbally because he's got 400 songs to his name, of which probably, I don't know, 80 or 90 of them are probably politically based. He can talk through the lyrics anyway. Mm. And you've, But you're right on the elite. So I thought one of the things in the campaign when Clinton had the big concert and she had, I can't remember who, but all the big stars, I thought it just looks really bad. All you're doing is pissing off people. You're not impressing anyone by, oh, shit, Beyonce supports me. I better vote for Hillary. Yeah, that's basically having one, you could argue, a privileged person supporting another. Yeah, and even when Springsteen supported Obama, and he did heavily, he played a bunch of shows in support on the campaign. As a rabid Springsteen fan, even I thought back at the time, it doesn't help anyone, it doesn't win votes. Well... Was it um, was it the inauguration concert that Bill had when he first won? Didn't he? Didn't Springsteen and the E Street Band weren't they part of the concert? And Bill got up and played sax, uh, his saxophone. I could, yeah, I don't know, but he could have. They, it wouldn't totally wouldn't surprise me. I mean, that that was pretty darn cool. But also, there's the other part of your your mind's going, yeah, it's kind of self indulgent. Yeah, it is. No, I agree totally. Obama definitely was so much cooler. So oh, he was. And I mean, I watched, as I'm sure you did, I watched parts of the inauguration. And one of the things, well, actually, sorry, I stayed up to watch the inauguration, right? So it, it started at 3 a.m. Australian time. And I thought, right, I'm going to uh, stay up or I'm going to have a snooze on the couch. Um, and at about 11 p.m., I started to have a snooze on the couch. And I knew full well that I'd wake up before 3 a.m., except I didn't wake up at quarter past four. <laughs> Um, so I got to start watching it from the time live when Obama was going to the chopper um, to go on his holiday. And what, what became apparent is just how goddamn relieved he was to be done with that job. Yes. Yes, as he, as he says, as he said, I think one of his, the final comments he made was he was looking forward to uh, not hearing himself speak so much. Yeah, well, imagine it. Yeah. Oh, uh, He's a he's a good guy, and uh, I think he um, he must be so frustrated, and as I think all all the presidents must be, by how much they wanted to achieve and how little they actually managed to. Well, imagine what he would have done with the same level of congressional control that Trump has, as far as if the Democrats ran both houses. Imagine what they could have achieved. Um, yeah, as I keep reminding people. Obama did have both houses for, was it the first six months? Did he have both houses? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it was, and the Democrats weren't terribly helpful either. Part of the problem is that, uh, and this is one of the things I have against political parties in general, is you have to deal with the factions and the uh, the politics. Yes. <laughs> um, which, again, is one of the things I think is, is going to um, erode Donald Trump's will is just having to deal with this crap over day in, day out, over and over and over. And he can't just keep issuing executive orders. No. If he hasn't worked that out already, he's going to very shortly. There's limits to presidential power by design. And 
Yeah, I think I think there's he might resign out of frustration, quite yeah. frankly, because he's just not going to be able to get done anything he wants to, and he doesn't have a political career and a political legacy to worry about, like every president that's gone in before him. So he he doesn't owe anyone anything, really. No. And the kind the, the kindest perspective I can offer is that he. You know, assuming the best of the guy, and there's not a lot to assume the best of, in my opinion, assuming the best, he's a successful businessman who kept his tax returns himself out of a sense of privacy, um, and he's 70 years old and doesn't see himself for the next four years every day working 16 to 18 hour days. That's the best picture I can put on it. What I would argue is the more realistic picture is that he's an egomaniac or a, what some people say, malignant narcissist who has gone, I wanted to achieve this so I could give the finger to all the people I perceive that have slighted me over the years. Fuck you, I became President of the United States. I don't want to deal with this shit now. How do I get out of it with my dignity intact? Yeah, I don't think he's as smart as some people think. I don't oh, no, think, and I agree. I, think, don't, I don't think he's anywhere near a smart guy. And I don't think he's as petty and narcissistic as some people think. Um, the the what What's projected and what's actually... Uh, behind the mask, who can really say? It's it is very easy to demonise someone oh, like yeah. that it's because he. And it's well, it's easy to demonise, easy to demonise Hillary as well. Quite frankly, that's right. Um, uh, but fundamentally, they're all people. They they all have feelings. They and they're all like us. Whether whether you like it or not, Hillary Clinton is is very much like all of us, and that. That includes you, dear listener. And Donald Trump is very much that we all share more than divides us, is yeah. what I'm saying. And I'm not trying to be some some wimpy pacifist, but the fight's over. Watch the guy like a hawk. Call him out on the yeah. crap, like you should do with every political leader. But this this absurd. Some of these absurd protests that do nothing other than rabble rouse aren't helping anybody. They just make America look look crazed. Yeah, agreed. Well, so we had enough of Trump. Um, well, it's, what are we? Five weeks in, I think most people <laughs> had enough. Yeah, let alone talk about the podcast. I just felt it was one of those. You know, it's been such an incisive, regularly released podcast. It, it was a big point of history. We couldn't. Ignore. Well, considering that we've we've been speaking from a, a level of um, pretty much zero solid information, although you did better than I did, um, I think that was. I know, that, mine's mine's all based on West Wing and House of Cards. The only thing I'd be spewing is the creative House of Cards because I don't think you can outdo what's going on in reality. Oh, I feel sorry for um, the people that produce Veep and uh, the people that write the stuff for The Onion. Yeah, well, that's right. And How I, I, I you top that? I know. And don't quote me on this, but I thought I saw a media article that Trey Parker and – it's Matt Stone and Trey Parker, isn't it? Um, – have basically said they don't even know how to tackle it on South Park because they can't beat what's actually happening in reality. No, no. And, uh, yeah, I have to agree with that. It's, you can't tell the – and granted, I don't have a lot of regard for CNN in general, but, I mean, they are a quasi-serious news organisation. Yeah. Even even their stuff, the, the stuff they're reporting is starting to look like the onion. Yeah. I, 
I've noticed that the onions sort of trying to stay away from politics now and find other subjects to be uh, some other amusing subject. I mean, uh, one, one of my favourite, uh, not so much onion or satire, but there's a Twitter account called um, Rogue POTUS. There are obviously all the protest accounts from all the different departments in the government, but there's this is at the White House staff have a rogue Twitter account. Um, there's absolutely no way of verifying it's legit Except the, I would argue, after following them from a couple a couple of weeks, they don't. There's no obvious link to them making money out of it. They're not trying to be funny. They they appear to be, and a, 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 what, what they claim is that there's a few of them going through massive secure process of you know, Tor browsers and multiple VPNs and and so on that are tweeting, assumably outside of the White House. Little tweets, just uh, three or four or five a day on discussions being had and the relationship between the key advisors to Trump, and it's absolutely fascinating. If it, it does it does end up being exposed as a hoax, they've done a brilliant job of making it appear real. It's just it's really well done. Can you give us an example? That sounds quite intriguing. Um, so everything from um, you know they're they're having a discussion about whatever issue. Um, uh, Pr- Prince Rebus, you know, is for this Bannon's against um, who hates who, um, but also just little bits of um, esoteric trivia. Like um, I don't know that this one came from that Twitter account or was a New York Times article from insiders uh, from insiders that they have in the White House so, as sources. That um, I don't think it was the senior stuff, but some of the stuff still couldn't work out how to turn on the lights in some of the meeting rooms. Ah, now, um, to be perfectly fair, I don't have a clue how to turn on the lights in any of our meeting rooms either. It can, they can be bastards in corporate, I agree. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's all some sort of Cisco thing, and I've, I, I haven't found sufficient fucks to give yet to, to try and work it out, so I just go in and sit in the dark, and it's, it's fine. I draw the curtains. It's more sustainable. That's right. I mean, I, I, sorry, I should have brought up the Twitter account, but it's just... It, um, I think it's um, Ash Rogue Potus, I think it is. But before we finish up, I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, yeah. But it, but it is absolutely fascinating. Again, it's absolutely impossible to know whether it's legitimate, but I think if it isn't, they're going to a lot of trouble for a hoax in that they're not going to get anything out of it. Um, and... It appears to be part of what they call a resistance, which, again, I would argue is a histrionic approach to things at this stage, but then we're not close as close as some people are. So I know some of these ones are saying they are scared shitless about what they're seeing going on just as far as the lack of um, discipline around things. Mm. Yeah. And it's Rogue, Rogue Potus Staff. Yeah, I've just said So it's at Rogue Potus Staff. Um. Yeah, well, look, if it, if it gives you any any reassurance, um, I, I think a lot of the things that uh, Trump was saying before the election as far as international relations go was based on the very sound concept of having a position to negotiate from. You have to have something on the table that you can – something you can offer on the table yeah. in order to renegotiate things. Having said that, um, he's – what was it? What's his name? Li Zhongwei, I think the – the Chinese president? Uh, that rings a bell. Yeah, I'm so, I always struggle with Chinese president names. 
the imperious um, communist totalitarian bullshit crowd that runs China, um, reassuring them that uh, they he he wouldn't be uh, changing the one China policy. So. Yeah, well, hopefully he does take advice here and there. Surely someone's going, holy shit, you don't want to get into that, that yeah. hole. I mean, there's quite honestly, there's enough potential for conflict in the South China Sea, and I don't, in all honesty, I, it's more in, uh, internal Chinese politics that are going to lead to war in the South China Sea than anything Trump is likely to do. But we, we just have to wait and see because it's going to be an interesting four years, and by crikey, there's going to be some amazing documentary movies made after this of oh yeah really went on yeah gotcha. you think steve jobs well the steve jobs films are probably not good examples because they were all horrible yeah i actually haven't even watched them i've, I've just never heard a positive thing uh, I, um ashton kutcher yeah. oh well but anyway yeah we should get some good movies and um melissa mccarthy's on a roll, what can I say? Yeah, look, I've got to say, the Sean Spicer, and uh, that's the only reason I really own a, a VPN is so I can watch SNL on YouTube. And it's, yeah, Sean's, her Sean Spicer impression is just superb. I assume the latest one would be out too, isn't it? Sunday night, so it should be available. So you should go and watch that now. And uh, in all fairness, well, as little as is appropriate, um, he at least responded appropriately and said he thought it was funny, but she should probably cut back on the gum. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. That's, that's a good way to deal with satire. Oh, um, absolutely. Maybe Don Don can can learn from his uh, his um, press oh what secretary, press secretary press... and communications director. He's doing both at the moment, and I. Can't see that holding up long. The thing CJ Craig did, whatever the hell that's called. Press secretary. So, yeah, yeah. Um, All right, we should wind it. Yeah, Is I was going to say any other quick snippets or anything else. I can't think of anything. I think we talked about David Brent life on the road on Flashpoint, didn't we? We did. Yep. Okay. Um, I'm hanging to see Bat- Batman, Lego Batman next weekend. I didn't get a chance this weekend. Have you heard that it's any good? I didn't even know it was coming out. Yeah, so did you watch the original Lego movie? I love the original yeah. Lego movie. So this is the, the, essentially the sequel. It's the Lego Batman movie, and the trailers I saw over the last six months, it looks at least as good as the Lego movie, so dying to see that. Uh, is is it, was it Will Nunnett, wasn't it? Did the Is he doing the voice I, of Batman? I think so. I don't think any of that's changed. So just check out on YouTube the trailers. Did The trailers alone look superb. Yes. Everyone stop listening to this right now and go and check out the trailer on YouTube. Yeah. Otherwise, I didn't. anything else we'll talk about Flashpoint. And next week's Flashpoint, we've got a special guest. Do we? We have one of our most regular and dedicated and faithful listeners joining us for the first time. Hmm. Well, there's 1.5 million listeners, so it's kind of hard to say. I know. It's not Donald Trump, though. He has asked, but at this stage I've said we just want to see how he goes. Excellent. Let's consider this pile of dung, dried, shaped, grilled, and sold as a beef patty. Thanks to everyone for listening and not remembering to delete this disaster from your subscription. As always, we are are keen to hear your thoughts on the podcast suggestions for topics conspiracy theories and or death threats just send them to contact at oceanicgamer.com you can follow us on twitter david's handle is at the oceanic gamer and i'm at rpg beats 
URL. For earlier episodes, visit creativeshed.com probably or subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play if you're in North America. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it's on Google Play. Yeah. And we hope to have another episode out in under, what was it, what, September? So that'd be five months or something? We could do them quarterly. Yeah, yeah, well, I think we should aim for quarterly. Yeah, quarterly sounds fine. Yeah. So by the time we're 84, we'll be up to episode 100. Yeah. Um, if you'd like them more often than that, by all means, tweet or email or, or, or send, a, send a letter with a, one of those sticky paper things. What are they called now? Stamps? Oh, stamps, yeah, yeah. Stamps. Yeah, with the with the writing and the ink and the licking and the germs spreading across the world. Can I yes. make an extremely brief comic anecdote? Yes. Just the stamps and the licking of the thing. Um, I managed to get a hold of Steve Ditko's mailing address in the last couple of weeks. So for those, uh, you can stop listening now if you're not into comics. But Steve Ditko obviously was the, the original artist on Spider-Man, um, had a very distinct art style, had a falling out with Stan Lee... Uh, and lives a sort of bizarre, reclusive lifestyle in New York. You can actually, he, he hates it, but you can actually turn up and knock on his door if you know his address. But people quite often write him letters, and if you're lucky, he writes back to you. So one of the things I'm hoping to do this year is I'm going to handwrite a letter for the first time in many years to Steve Ditko, trying to think of some interesting question to ask him that might make him reply, because he's well in his 80s. I think he's late 80s. So there you go. I just thought that I thought it was interesting. Thanks to a fellow comic fan on a forum I'm on, he uh, private messaged me Steve Ditko's address or mailing address. Why don't you ask him if, when he was drawing um, uh, Spider Man, if he drew the character as if he was wearing a dance belt or if he was going commando? I like it. See, although he's, I think he's a bit prim and proper. See, this is the balance in finding. So I know. The guy, I think, that was a gaming dress wrote him a letter and basically asked him some inane question that he said, look, I've already, basically he gave a cranky answer, but still wrote back to him and said, I've got, you know, I don't see that there was anything in this letter that I had to answer and signed his name. Now, the guy was sure he still got a letter back from Steve Ditko. I was hoping for something a bit more, more, um, yeah, I don't know. I definitely won't ask him about politics. He's a he's a real Anne Rand. I think he's Anne Rand follower. He's he's got he's got some interesting political perspectives. Uh, just on that subject, uh, if you think um, Anne Rand or Iron Rand is um, is what's fueling the current neo conservative Republicans side of things. Um, you clearly have never read any of the books she wrote. And I and haven't. I feel like I should, but I just can never bring myself to do it. Well, you, you probably should. Yeah, I know. The I bet you they're not very interesting, though. Um, Atlas Shrugged isn't a bad book, but the thing is they refer to her and clearly they've never read anything she's written either because the, the state of the Republican Party and where it stands these days has got very, very little... Yeah do with it other than the fact they keep bringing her up yeah anyway so i just couldn't really i thought ditko's a bit of an icon to comic nerds so yep, i'll yep. let you know once i eventually write also while you're at it david you should have a look for, at uh, any any of the essays by william buckley jr if you really want your hair to curl i would strongly recommend that so what what i, I don't recognize the name what sort of um no you 
Um, if you really want to be entertained, um, Gore Vidal and he did some debates okay. for CBS during, I think it was, was it the Nixon Kennedy? Oh, it's a conservative author and commentator. Yeah, there'll be, yes, <laughs> very much so. He's probably the, the thing that started the, and uh, Barry Goldwater, oh my God. But anyway. I don't want to end up starting to sound like Colin Moriarty. That's prob- Actually, that would probably help our ratings. Oh, there's a Noam Chomsky versus Buckley debate. See, I find Noam Chomsky bores the shit out of me, but he's a very intelligent man. Yeah, unfortunately, intelligence doesn't necessarily mean wisdom. No. I've met three stupid, smart people in my time. I attempted to read a Chomsky book, and I think I got three chapters in and gave up. Yeah, but isn't it more for, so you can actually say at fancy wee cocktail parties that you, you've read Chomsky's Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, even I'm not that much of a wanker. Oh, come on. You must be. No, I've never. Yeah, God, I can't imagine saying, oh, by the way, I read this. No, I'd gag on my food. I can't imagine you doing it. I really can't. No, no. Anyway, say goodbye, David. I really think we should wind this thing up. Yeah, we're out of here. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 